0: All right, well, welcome to the show. We're sitting here with uh, Juan Lugo from Don Doroteo uh, Cigars. We met uh, Juan at PCA 2022, and uh, we're just kind of walking by his booth, had a really interesting booth, and uh, jumped in, started asking questions, and uh, the more we talked to him, the more um, this uh, really amazing story unfolded. Um, so, uh, we wanted to have him back to, to share a story in more detail and, uh, to dive into the brand and, uh, and some of the ambitions of the company. So, uh, so Juan, you know, welcome to the show and, uh, we're excited to talk to you.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me really excited to be here
0: with you guys. Yeah, no, it's, it's my pleasure. You know, it's, uh, it's one of the things I I love most about the cigar industry is, uh, the family values and the family legacy. Um, you know, the multiple generations that, you know, just carry on the family tradition and, uh, you know, family's important to me and legacy's important to me. It's something that I think about all the time. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it's one of the things that struck me, um, that you've got kind of an interesting, uh, very unique legacy story when it comes to the cigar industry. So, mm-hmm. um, so let's, uh, let's kind of start with the beginning, um, Tell me about uh, where you were born, and uh, kind of like what your parents did, and just kind of generally like what your upbringing was like. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I uh, I was born in New York City, in uh, '89. So, you know, grew up during the '90s. Um, during that time, it was in Washington Heights, uptown Manhattan. So, for folks that don't aren't uh, well versed with the city, it's essentially like Harlem. When you when you hear Harlem, it's that whole strip so that's kind of like the environment we grew up in um it was cool because you know as a in hindsight obviously you know like the uh, the significance of that like you know growing up in new york city in the melting pot and everything you're exposed to for good or for bad um but then also having uh an alternate reality where every summer uh during summer vacations and stuff from school my parents would take us to dominican republic and we would spend months and months and months there. So between I say like mid June up until right up up until school started. So like late August, sometimes even spilling into September, we would just stay in Dominican Republic. And so it wasn't like, you know, what you see in the in the videos of the resorts and the you know the clear water beaches and whatnot. We were in farms essentially. So we were in the in the valley, Center Valley, and it was all countryside. Um, I would spend a lot of time with all my grandparents doroteo being one of them um and uh yeah it was just as a kid there were parts that i really loved about it but there were a lot of boring parts too so you know going through the fields at the time and getting bit bit up on mosquitoes and everything and just the whole nine and having uh, a vivid memory of doroteo swinging machete clearing clearing right. paths for myself and for my brother who was younger than me you know at the time i didn't I was just like, this sucks. Like, I want to go play <laughs> basketball or something. But now, in, in hindsight, I'm like, man, that was pretty sick. Like, I got to have that first-hand experience and um, got to see the fields that he worked in because he used to produce more than just tobaccos. Um, he raised animals and, and was, uh, had a green thumb, so, so to speak. He was into agriculture abroad. So, got to learn a lot about all different kinds of crops and stuff. But uh, not to get too away from the question there. So, grew up in New York City. Um, my folks migrated uh, to the U.S. in 82 and 84. They met here. Um, uh, as many immigrants do when they when they come to the U.S., they kind of just get whatever job they can get. Uh, my dad got into the jewelry business, became a jeweler. Um, after almost a decade or so of doing that, he was starting to lose his eyesight because um, uh, I guess the tools he was using to uh, create some of the jewelry. So he pivoted and and just took whatever gigs he could find, landed somewhere doing you know it was low income uh, work. He was a housekeeper, so it was honest work. He worked his you know his tail off so to speak. Um, after a few years of that, he uh, started his own housekeeping business in um, in Lower Manhattan. So um, there's a strip where there's like oh, man, what do you call it? I think it's like Lower East Side. Where it's known as like like one of the bougie areas or whatever. So there's right. like these private a row of like plastic surgeon offices and and um, you know just a bunch of medical offices where a lot of the um, you know celebs and folks that are you know on the higher echelon of society so to speak they where they go. And so my dad just con- like randomly sent me a picture with Fifty Cent. Like <laughs> I'm like, what oh the my man?
0: gosh. So yeah. stuff like
1: that, that, which was really cool. You know, growing up in New York City, those like one of my idols, and I just so. Um, you know, and I remember as a young kid, um, I would go with him to, to the hospitals and I would, I would beg him, let me go work with him. But he obviously he can't let like an eight year old, you know, child labor laws and all, but on, on some weekends, he would do some extra gigs for the hospitals that he would work for and he would bring me along. And, uh, in hindsight, it was child abuse. He would, he would bribe me with 20 bucks. And I was like, yes, let me get that 20 bucks. <laughs> and I would work the whole day with him. But uh, I just was always um, that sort of kid, always trying to like find like a hustle, so to speak. I always wanted to get money, earn money so that I can, you know, for kids stuff, buy candy and buy some Jordans, stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And so my my mom, kind of same same deal, you know, just, uh, you know, honest work for immigrants in New York City. Um, My grandfather, Doroteo, he would come visit us uh, about once a year for you know come get his medical checks and whatnot and then he would skedaddle back to Dominican Republic um during that time he would stay with us uh in a little cramped apartment in New York City my mom would just tell me like the day of like hey uh your grandfather's coming so you gotta give him your room I'm like where am I gonna sleep <laughs> right right so um a lot of times I would either just you know bunk with him like in the same room or I would go I don't know go try to gotta um try to figure something out but during that time, it was kind of annoying, but it's, in hindsight, again, it was pretty cool having those uh, one off experiences with him because I didn't really get to see him other than the times I spent in the Dominican Republic in the farm or when he would come visit us in the US. Um, as that, I, I got older, around, let's say, my um, adolescence around like eight, nine, 10, um, I remember he would take us to the, the park, uh, play basketball, whatever. And he would always just watch from afar and he would smoke either um, out of a pipe. He would smoke anduyo, so his own tobacco that he would harvest in Dominican Republic, or he would smoke um, some box presses that he would roll himself, and uh, he would that was his, his, his jam. So that's that's his one vice, and that's what he always did. And I remember, like, you know, after every time he came to visit, he always had those those box presses. And eventually, I got to the point I was like curious, and I was like, "Hey, Grandpa, you let me, um, can I can I try that?" And, you know, I'm like 9, 10 years old. And he's like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> like, no, you can't try this. Yeah. It's for adults only. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then uh, I just kept asking every day. So every day I kept asking. And eventually, one day, he finally let me try it. And he made me swear I wouldn't tell my mom. First thing I did when I got home, obviously, was brag about it. Uh, so, how, I... so how
0: old were you? Because this is you, – you actually beat me to it. Because during the podcast, we always ask everybody – the same three questions and and I skipped over them because like we already know each other, but um, it's, it's you know, do you remember your first cigar? When was it, what was the story? Mm-hmm. Do you remember your first drink of alcohol? What was that story? And do you remember your your first time shooting a firearm? So okay. so since, yeah. since you beat us to the punch, like dive into those three, just to derail you a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love that. Uh, that goes with the whole ATF theme. Right? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. right? yeah, that's cool. So uh, this was my first time smoking a cigar. I didn't do it properly. It wasn't cool. I wasn't swallowing. How old were I, was, you? I, was, I was like nine years old. <laughs> okay.
0: Did so you I inhale? I, uh,
1: I did. Um, and, and it, it really like, just kind of threw me off and I never wanted to do tobacco again. But right. uh, so, so the way it happened was I, I kept begging him every day. And finally, he got he got sick of me uh, of asking it. And he said, All right, here you go. Um, right. And so he, he didn't even instruct me on what to do. So the first thing I did was exhale. And I, so I blew it essentially on the cigar. And it just, he's like, What the heck are you doing? You ruined my cigar. He said, You have to inhale. And so this is a horrible story to tell. It's just like,
0: <laughs> they this always is before,
1: love You know, before the whole woke era. So, um, yeah, so he told me inhale, and so I did, and I just choked. And I was like, that was horrible. He's like, you see? It's not for kids. And I was like, why do people smoke that? Um, so, yeah, I left it alone. I never really uh, wanted to do smoke cigars or anything like that uh, until maybe a couple years later. I, I was maybe 11 or 12, and he came to visit like he always did, and he bought some box presses. And I remember he had them wrapped in a, like a yellow silk uh, bow that he always used to carry his cigars in. And because he stayed in my room, where he had them was in my closet. So when he left, he must've forgot them. At least I think that's what happened. So he, you know, I'll go back to my room. I'm like, finally, dude, I got the room to myself. Go to the closet and I'm like, ah. I see that, like, it was a stack, like maybe six or seven of them in a yellow bow. And I was like, oh shit, what do I do? I tell mom, I was like, no. So, <laughs> no. so I hit him, I hit him. And then I kind of just left him there for a little bit. And then a couple of days later I was like free or whatever. My mom was like working, I think. And I just cranked open the window. You know, New York City, like I in I'm the gonna... house? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was okay. Oh, see, to... see, I thought yeah. you were gonna piggy, piggyback on the whole entrepreneurial side that you're always trying to make money. And I figured you were gonna go sell them to sell each them? of your buddies no. for five bucks a piece and you all lit up in the alley or something.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> so so I did I wanted to try these out myself. So I just cranked open the window and I just leaned out. Um, uh, and so I just lit one up, didn't know what I was doing, obviously. And I just inhaled and exhaled, just kept doing it. I was like, eventually I'll like it. <laughs> and so, uh, it worked. I did a big mistake though. Cause I left, I let, I smoked it, uh, about maybe a third and I left it on the, on the windowsill on the outside Uh-oh. Uh-oh. and, uh, fast forward a couple of days of the weekend, uh, our ritual was like every Saturday morning, my mom would put on some salsa, like blaring through the house. And that was like, my cue, like, it's time to clean. So um, we started doing our, our, you know, cleaning our rooms and stuff and, and whatnot. And my mom goes in my room and she's about to, you know, Windex the, the windows, just clean them up. And she sees that and she's like, what the heck? And then uh, I try to play it off smooth and say, like, Grandpa must have left it there. That's not a good move. Something like that. And, and uh, she, she must have told him or asked him, like, hey, did you leave a cigar in the, in the windows? Like, no, I would never do that. You know, I always go to right. the park with the kids. And so she came back to me, and obviously, you know, at that point, I was, you know, I <laughs> you're was real, busted. But... I was busted, but um, uh, I gave her the rest of the cigars, and that was that. So that was my first time and second time smoking cigars. Um, uh, alcohol, man, this is, it's sounding like a CPS poster I was child. Like when I was five. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All the best childhoods are, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're Dominican, man, so we're known for, like, partying and stuff, so. That's kind of like how, what our upbringing was like. Um, so in Dominican Republic, the laws are very lenient compared to the U.S. Like I remember going to clubs and stuff, like at sixteen, seventeen, and I'm like just try to act like a like a grown man, give them my ID, and they're like, "All right, you're good." Yeah. And then I was like, it worked. But really, what it is is they know you have dollars. They're like, they're gonna spend money. Like right. Don't let them care. care. So yeah. like yeah. So it's crazy. Uh, so I think. Uh, First, like, real drink where I, I, I got buzzed was probably like 13, 14. Was, right. uh, we were having like in a the, family in,
0: in the US. Dominican or, it was or in the yeah. US.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were having like a family gathering and um, my family, big family. So Doroteo had 11 kids. So wow. I have 11 uh, aunts and uncles, and all of them have a gang of kids. And then when we get together for cookouts or family reunions, it's we throw down. Yeah, and it's, um, it's a lot of people. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of hard to keep track of where the kids are. You kind of just want them to be safe and go play, like do your own thing, go play sports, whatever. And uh, I remember we we, we kind of um, got a hold of some of the beers and stuff. And a, a few of us just went and went off and hit somewhere and we just got wasted. <laughs> and then we come back, you know, and we're like, all right, let's go eat. You know, the food's ready. And then we come back, we're thinking like, oh, we're sober. No one's going to notice. And we were like sloppy drunk. And my mom just kind of grabbed me. I was like walking, like thinking I'm all cool. My mom just grabbed me out of nowhere. She's like, are you drinking? (laughs) I was like, oh, no. So your Um, mom
2: seems to be the ATF warden in your family.
1: She is. She is. My mom was the, uh, she was SWAT. Like I remember my mom later in high school when I was getting in real trouble, she would like bust into my room. She would like kick my door down. <laughs> it's a raid, <laughs> and I'd be like, I'd be like rolling a blunt. I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, oh no, it was,
0: bad. it was bad.
1: But um, so, what, you so know. what about firearms? Firearms, um, it wasn't until later. So I became a gunner after I joined the military, uh, which is kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, but I really didn't. I, I was always around firearms in Dominican Republic. My my uncles um, were in the federal government. They were in the military. They served in in the air force over there. Um, so I was always familiar with or comfortable around firearms. I always knew, obviously, not to play around with that. Never got you know. Never went off and did anything stupid there. Um, so my so, I would you, say my so
0: you didn't so you didn't follow the cigar and alcohol route. Of, no, uh, no, no, not with firearms.
1: <laughs> luckily, honestly, because I got in a lot of trouble doing other things. So it's good to get my hands on that. So. Um, With firearms, I I, I think it wasn't until boot camp, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. I want to say it was like boot camp. I was like 19. Um, I shot uh, uh, a hell of a way to get, you know, get started. I shot M4, uh, uh, 249, um, M240 Bravo, um, and the 9mm Beretta. Okay. Pretty decent for, you know. Yeah, that's
0: a good jumping off point. I, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard to top that experience. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, I, I love those stories, right? Because, uh, you know, no, no matter what the age is of people, for some reason, they always remember their first experiences with these things. Mm-hmm. And, and they're usually, you know, not just memorable, but they're colorful stories, right? There's always yeah. some funny story behind it. And I think it's, it's interesting, right? Because these three things, um, you know it, it's why it's why we picked the name of the magazine and it's why you know we have so much fun with it and everything else but you know the, these things are are i would say foundational elements to what america is right like i mean when you go mm-hmm. outside this country and you say describe america and you know they get into a lot of flattering things but you know, there, there's always some version of, oh, they're a bunch of cowboys, you know, they, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they drink and they smoke and everybody has a gun and, you know, things like this. And, and I think that, you know, that original pilgrimage of, you know, bold immigrants that came over here to found America, you know, mm-hmm. some of that spirit clearly still lives on. And uh, and I think that every kid growing up, it's, it's always this rite of passage, right? You're, you're not a grown up. Until you can experience these things, right? So we're always in this yeah. rush to uh, to become adults, uh, right? You know what I what I think is um, is so cool and interesting about your background, right? Is that, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this is my impression, right? When I heard your story, is you know you come from from these long roots and tobacco and, and Dominican Republic and everything but you were raised in New York City and and neither of your parents you know pursued the trade either I mean they they were just mm-hmm. chasing their American dream um, right. as so many people have and continue to do and so you're raised in New York City and you know almost like summer camp once in a while like I remember having, you know being forced to go visit my relatives and and it right. would, believe me it was nowhere nowhere near as exotic <laughs> as Dominican Republic but you know, as a kid, it's just kind of like, oh man, I miss my buddies. And oh man, I wish I was out riding my bike with my buddies. And here you are, you know, on this farm in the middle of paradise, you know, with the opportunity to learn about, you know, this legacy within your family. And most kids, all they're thinking about is, man, I'm bored. Like I wish I was at home with my bike and my buddies. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. and so you were, other than your family vacations and stuff, you know, where you were exposed to it you were really raised as a New York city kid.
1: Yep. hundred percent.
0: And, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick up when you jumped into this cigar industry, but I don't want to bypass things. So you, um, you went through school. Um, you, you know, you, you were probably, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the credit. You turned out fine. So you must've been a good kid at least half the time. We won't mm-hmm. talk about your mom's raids on your bedroom doing God knows what. <laughs> uh, but you eventually graduated high school, and um, what made you join the U.S. military?
1: So I actually dropped out of high school,
0: <laughs> uh, but uh,
1: and that's a long story. But I was pretty much playing hooky for my whole senior year, and then come time of like prom, which I know my, my dad knew I was like, if it, I was going to be excited about anything in school, it was going to be that and homecoming right. and whatnot. And uh, I never, I never mentioned it. And excuse me, I'm like sweating so much. I just came from the gym. Um, uh, I never mentioned prom or anything. So he got curious. He's like, "What's going on here?" So he just went to school uh, one day. and spoke to the counselor and asked him, "Like, hey, how's how's my kid doing?" And she told him, "Like, he hasn't been in school since December." So I don't know what's. Gonna
0: <laughs> and
1: it was like, like it was a uh, maybe February, March time frame. You know, a couple of months before the, the school year was up. So long story short, you know, I I was I was pretty mischievous and and obviously at the time I didn't know what it was, but I I was one of those kids where I was never like I was always bored. Like I always needed more stimulation and um, I just wasn't getting it. So I went and seeked it on my own. Um, But eventually I went back to to school and I graduated, thankfully, and they let me back in Um, my cousin, Aaron, who's actually running. uh, He's director of operations in Dominican Republic, Uh, all the everything with the factory as far as quality control, um, leading all the folks at the, the farm. Um, he lived a couple blocks from me, um, right after high school, I was, I was working like at a, you know, car dealership, didn't really have any aspirations of going to college or anything. And he tells me like, Hey man, I'm thinking about going to the air force, uh, and becoming a cop. And I was like, what, what do you want to do that? <laughs> and then he goes, uh, can you, uh, you know, he, we, we had like this, this bond, like brothers, um, and, he told me like, would you mind going with me to the recruiter's office so I don't get stiff or anything? And walk out of there with a with a contract. And so I go with him and they I remember uh, they showed us they showed us these videos of this guy on like ATF with a 203 attached to an M4 and he had like a K9, the whole thing, and I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> and so we we both walked out with Air Force shirts and contracts. And um we were gonna go in and uh doing the buddy system. Yep. Um which is pretty funny, too, because we both went in initially thinking that we're going to be like bad boys, like Will Smith and, you know, it would right. be like cops and stuff. And uh, my cousin was into street racing at the time and he got caught. Uh, he got pulled over and he got a and had to go to court and everything. And it was like two months before boot camp. So uh, the court orders were, you know, he wasn't going to get any trouble as far as like paying any legal fees or, or penalties or anything. But he couldn't he could no longer qualify it to be a, a military police officer. Right. So I had to go in as an MP and he went in as a chef. Oh <laughs> my God. Yeah, man. But it's, it's pretty funny, though, because, you know, I, I give him so much crap for that. I was like, dude, like, I'm out here pulling 12, 14 hour shifts and, you know, the grueling sun, just walking around with M4, you know, in the flight line. And you're over there flipping stakes, getting paid the same amount as me. Um, but he actually went and deployed to Iraq. He went to Balad Air Force Base, Air Base, right. rather. Uh, And I actually went there too. So it was pretty cool to, um, you know, along the way we, we crossed paths. So even though we kind of split and went our own ways in the air force, we would just run into each other and random points in our career, which was pretty awesome. Um, Yeah.
0: Okay. So, uh, so you did your time in the military, you served America. We appreciate that. Um, And then, so then when you got out and and you're back home, uh, what do you do then? Um, So
1: just to touch on the tobacco piece, because there were instances and that were pretty uh, instrumental, like left imprints, you know. Um, And I didn't obviously even know this until in hindsight, looking back when we went to um, when I deployed to Iraq. The first time I went to uh, Al-Assad, just an hour, 45 minutes to an hour away uh, from Baghdad. And um, it was a dry base, so we couldn't drink. So on July 4th, they gave us, I remember like yesterday, they gave us two non-alcoholic beers. And I'm sitting there in 105 degree weather and I'm just looking at my sergeant like, dude, really?
0: <laughs> Come On 4th kid. of July,
1: yeah. Yeah, on 4th of July. So uh, we would go and, and, and um, we would go drink or smoke in, in, in some bunkers. So some buddies of mine, uh, we were off and we went to some bunker that we claimed. Essentially, we, pop, we had some little pop-up chairs and stuff. We just sit there and, and the only thing we could get our hands on was cigars. And, right. you know, the embargo doesn't really, they don't really care about that in Iraq. So we had Cuban cigars. So when I really first started enjoying cigars, because it was my only outlet, aside from working out, it was during deployment. And, yeah. you know, and I, I, actually I, just, I
0: was going to say, like, our, our magazine's greatest following is bread in the military. Anybody who's deployed yeah. develops mm-hmm. their love of alcohol, tobacco and firearms being deployed in the military.
1: hmm hundred percent, man. So there were a lot of a
0: lot of cool experiences like that um, throughout,
1: you know, that that four-year uh, period. After the military, um, I was very eager to get out. I wanted because I had a vision, I had a goal. Um, after my four years, I wanted to um, go back to Iraq as a as a contractor. So, okay. and I had a, I had a couple of buddies that were already doing that. So I I, I hit up all the you know um, popular names, Blackwater, and right. they were like nobody
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you're in the air you, force yeah you're, no. you're
1: air force like, <laughs> you, had, you, had a, you had a couple cute deployments that's cool man so i was like all right whatever so i hit up some other companies and i actually got in contact with floor yeah. uh and um i i was working with them and they were working me through the process i got through a couple stages i uh, got through the whole interview and all that jazz and i was set to go and at the time i had met my wife and her and i so I was, I was stationed in Beale Air Force Base. That was my home base, which is an hour north of where I live now, Sacramento. So you already know where, where this yeah. is going. Uh, I, I met my wife at a salsa club, and uh, we were dating at the time, living together and everything. And then I just told her when they're like, hey, I'm going to Afghanistan. So <laughs> she's like, what? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm going to the. I got a contract to go to Camp Leatherneck in uh, Afghanistan. I was super stoked. A couple of my other buddies were going to. And at the time, I was maybe uh, 21, 22. And you know, they they told me it was gonna be like ninety grand tax free. And at the time I was like, That's that's a lot of money, that's awesome. Oh yeah. That's and, a and the, of money. Yeah, and I'm like, it's Call of Duty, let's go. You're right. Uh and obviously, you know, looking back, I'm like, man, I was a shithead. <laughs> <so> right. <laughs> you know, um unfortunately so did I didn't go? I didn't. I didn't go. Um, so I, I, I you know, I was talking to my folks about it. Um because I didn't want, you know, my, my relationship to to influence my decision on that, as much as I loved my my wife and everything, we were just dating at the time, so um, I kind of wanted to follow my own path and you know the goals I had all set, right. and just talking to all the people you know around me that loved me, I was just you know I came to the conclusion that I already had the GI Bill, you know I did get injured a couple times while I was serving, so I am technically a, a service related disabled vet. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I figured, okay, I'll, I'll, it's always there. The opportunity is always there. I had my military clearance, my, my security clearance for a couple more years. So I figured, I said, you know what, let me, get, let me let, give school a fair shot. I was never really good at school. You know, I dropped out of high school. So I right. already had that, you know, that bitter relationship with, with uh, the educational system. Um, but I, I, I earned it in the military. So I said, the least I get service I could do for myself is to actually pull myself through the school and, and, and try to work it out. So I went through community college, and for two years. And I, I after two years, I started taking a liking to it. Um, turned a leaf there. I started doing you know jobs that appealed to me at the time. I was a gym rat, so I started personal training. Um, and then I did that, and then uh, you know I moved to Silicon Valley. I was, at the time, I was living in Sacramento. I, I moved to Silicon Valley with my my wife. Uh, at the time, uh, she was going to nursing school there, so I. I I, uh, I, was, I was getting ready to transfer to a, a four-year school, so I did so at San Jose State University. Um, while I was there, that's really where I, I uh, took off, like, you know, on my entrepreneurial pursuits. I was working at a gym, Gold Gym specifically in Campbell, and it was it was insane, man. Like, the, the people, the traffic that would go in there, you know, the folks that would go in there was, it was nuts. Because you're thinking, like, it's a head gym, you know. It's not you're not going to really have exposure to a lot of people that you want to have exposure to. But that's that was contrary to the the truth. You know, like the WhatsApp CEO would come in and he would pull up in his G-Wagon. Next day, he pull up in a Ferrari. And I'm like, what the heck? Like and I would see all these people from from the tech world. And then I just, you know, I saw dollar signs and I was like, I just got immersed. I said, I need to I need to learn, you know, as much as I can here. Um, So I started digging around and joining different groups and stuff. And then um, I started um, getting intrigued with the whole uh, mo- mobile app development. So I, I started uh, putting together a plan to start developing mobile apps for uh, gyms, fitness facilities, because I always saw like a gap there. Um, members will always complain. I was the front desk and, and personal trainer and members would always complain like, hey, the app's not working, it's clunky, whatever, it has, has bugs, has issues. Um, and so I figured like, OK, I have a problem here people want it let me see if i can find right. a solution for it i'm in the melting pot of engineering you know like come on right. so i got one of my buddies um who was pakistani and he told me hey i got i got tons of relatives friends back home that could help us build this thing and so i uh i did a couple of zoom calls with these guys um i would get off my shift from the gym around like 12:45 a.m go home uh clean up and then do a get on the computer do a zoom call and I had class the next morning because I was still going to university. And I would get on a call with these guys for one or two hours every night, and we figured it out and we built the first MVP. Um, and so we started pitching it to all the different gyms. I got like 19 gyms that said no, they said kick rocks. And then finally I landed one. And uh, we did that for like three years. Uh, I was working with this gym in particular. And essentially what I did was point of sale, uh, I was taking percentages there, ad revenue, um, all kinds of things. Uh, while I was doing that, I was um, hearing a lot of buzz about cryptocurrency, uh, Bitcoin okay. this and Ethereum that. And in fact, one of I, I, I ran into an issue with the app at one point where I was I, there was a specific bug that was like it was the whole user experience was getting decimated. Like the, the, it just it was giving me like panic attacks. I was like, oh, this is like going to be the end of my business. And I would right. try to get a hold of my folks in, in Pakistan. They, I couldn't get a hold of them all of a sudden. And right. weeks and weeks went on. I'm like, you can't have bug issues, the same issue for weeks and weeks. Like, you know, folks are gonna delete the app and they're, that's it, you're done. Yep. And so I finally get a hold of them and they told me, sorry, man, like we've been actually pivoting a whole uh, business model. Uh, we're gonna get away from developing apps. We're gonna move into cryptocurrencies. And by this point, I've been hearing that, you know, left and right. And again, going back to Aaron, my, my cousin in the Dominican Republic who's running the farm. He comes to visit me one, uh, for like six weeks um he's he was living in the east coast at the time, he comes and visits me in the valley. And while he's there, he has two laptops. And so I, I see him every morning messing around with two laptops. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's Why? like, I'm in the I'm in the dark web. And I'm like, the what? <laughs> oh, so he no. starts he starts explaining that what the dark web is and all this jazz and yeah, you know, all, all the the crazy, crazy things that, that, that you find there. And I remember uh seeing uh, Bitcoin, the little logo. And the ticker, like the price action, and it just fluctuates. It goes like this every single day. Right. And I remember just asking him, like, "Hey, man, what, what's up with that? Like, how does that work? What is, you know?" Right. Why, why is that going down? Are you losing money? Like, what? What is? It? Did you buy something? And so he explains the whole on a very high level uh, manner. He explains the whole mechanism of how Bitcoin works. And at the time, it was hovering around, I want to say, like nine hundred dollars, uh, okay. eight to nine hundred dollars. And then I said, uh, oh, can you help me buy some? Like, I just want to buy, uh, like." Anything, even if like a hundred bucks or whatever else, a student at the time, you know, so um, I buy a couple hundred bucks worth and then it goes up within a week. And I'm like, that's weird. I was like, let's put some more money in there. Eventually, like within a couple of weeks, I put like a couple grand and I saw it go up like three X. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, you know, yeah. like, this, this is going to zero. This has to be a scam. So I pull out that money uh, and then I just watch it and it continues to go up for the right. weeks and weeks and weeks. And this was summer of 2017, May of 2017 that I started. And so by the end of that year, you know, it climbed upwards of 20 grand. It was hovering right. just under 20 grand. And, uh, by that point I was hooked. So I came to that point with my mobile app where I was more intrigued with this. So I just pivoted towards that. Um, and I've been doing that since, uh, I still do that, you know, to this day. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that that's kind of like the journey prior to cigars. That's
0: what I've been doing, and so uh, so this, so so now we come to that that pivotal point, right? So you you found something that you're passionate about. You're you're clearly successful. You're you're probably you know thinking back to those early days as a front desk and trainer, where you're seeing G wagons and Ferraris rolling up yeah. and everything, just going, "Damn, I want a piece of that!" And now you're a successful trader in crypto and you know, you're, you're, you're being successful, everything else, but then, then, then you approach another crossroads. Right. And, and some, something starts calling on the inside about family legacy, Dominican Republic, tobacco, your grandfather. Mm -hmm. and, And what do you do?
1: Yeah, man. So, so for, I would say for four years, I was just, you know, I was eating it, so to speak. Like, I was just going through it with crypto. I was not making gains. I was not winning. Um, I picked up a, another gig at Costco. So I was always, like, I needed to work and just, I always wanted to be busy and, and, do, and, and be productive. So I went and got a part-time job at Costco. I was making, like, 21 grand a year. And I put every single cent into crypto for three years. Every single, every single cent. <laughs> like a madman. And all my friends and family, my wife thought, you know, they thought I was nuts. And I believe them to a degree of like, you have to be a little nuts to kind of have that kind of conviction with anything. Um, and I was just, you know, I, I saw the trends, you know, and it, it I, I've seen that it had gone to a couple cycles prior, you know, the peaks in the valleys. And I said, OK, I'm going to take my, my chances here in the event that there is another peak. I want to be in. I want to participate in that and make some gains there. And so, I, you know, my mind was all consumed with, like, I, I want to, you know, I came from nothing. I want to make something. I want to make something. Yes. And yes. so I didn't have any kids at the time. So my my ambitions were very dumb, very, you know, early 20s. I'm thinking, like, I just want to make money, get a Ferrari, you know, all that dumb stuff. Right. Um, and so, you know, fast forward, I, I meet Brandon, my co-founder of Donde Rotel Cigars and a couple other buddies, uh, I meet him through an investment. We get on some channels and we're talking and we have like, we don't even have our names. We have like some synonyms and some avatars. And, you know, and uh, I get to talk to Brandon and then finally we get comfortable enough where he gives me his real name. We we get to talk like this, we see each other's face. And then, um, you know, we, we build a, a relationship that way. Um, which is kind of a funny way of doing it. Right. Like, I don't like, I like to consider myself like old school in the way, like I met my wife at a salsa club, you know, all those kind of things. But at the same time, we're living in this world where you kind of have to have a hybrid mentality there where you, you could get a podcast or interview done this way, where you can get work done this way, where you can meet friends this way. And so it just kind of happened that way. And, and so the, uh, these buddies, you know, Brandon included, we all get together and we, we keep investing together, you know, fast forward to, 2021 uh, it was june of of last year um we finally get came to a point where like dude we did something with this which is crazy after so many years of you know feeling like re- you know crazy people and 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 having you know everyone around us telling us we're crazy and then finally we're like it's real <laughs> right you know and so we go to puerto rico san juan puerto rico and we're i remember like we're we're hanging out in front of uh, the beach and um you know brandon was a big time aficionado and I had no idea because you know most of our relationship we never met in person right so a lot of the a lot of the nuances and little things you pick up in person you know we haven't, hadn't got the opportunity yet so we get there and he has a little pelican case and he has a bunch of goodies in there and he whips out a bunch of cigars and he's telling me like this cigar in particular is such and such it's from this year it's collectors blah blah, blah. i want you to have it and start giving everyone cigars out of everybody there i was the only one that knew how to cut a cigar how to light it up and everything and so I think he was like, oh, you like cigars? I'm like, yeah, I smoke cigars from time to time. know, I wasn't, you know, a big time aficionado, so to speak. And I had that heritage and legacy in the back of my mind, but I never, um, you know, taken it to the next, next uh, step on the same deck right. where I'm sitting now during the pandemic in 2020, I was whipping up a plan. Uh, Cause in one of my instances, I got, you know, I got inspired and I'm like, man, I remember during that pandemic when, when things were, you know, just hard and tough, whatever, I would just come to this deck and I would smoke cigars um, and, or have some glass of wine, you know, whiskey, whatever the case is. In one particular instance, I was listening to some music that I remember my uncles listened to when they used to drink, my dad, my grandfathers, and I was smoking a cigar. And I remember I was thinking about Doroteo, my grandfather. I looked up to him a lot and, um, you know, I, I just started thinking, I was like, man, like, you know, now that I have this this crypto thing going, I'm like, is this what I want to leave for my kids? You know, do I want my son and my daughter to bear the stress of dealing with a crazy market, With you know, filled? Like, there's a lot of good things about it, but there's a lot of greed. There's a lot of, you know. Materialism. Just materialism, yeah. just surface level things. And I just don't want to pass that to my kids. I don't want my kids to think that that's what life's all about. Um, and I have this, you know, I was pondering about my childhood. You know, because when you have kids, it kind of makes you like think of all these things like your childhood. You know, where did you know, where what can you do better than what you saw growing up? All these kinds of things. Right. And so I remember thinking that like a lot, just like, man, I don't want this to be the legacy that I leave my kids. You know, I came to that realization, you know, because it's it's one of those things. It's cliche, but you don't know until you have you see it for yourself that, you know, money, money is is, is amazing to is amazing resource to to help with a lot of different issues, but it's not going to bring you happiness. And, you know, it's, it's pretty shallow in in itself, just in, in itself, right. you know, alone uh, without any, any context of, you know, um, how do you, how do you put it? You know, without any, 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 any foundation. There's, there's no there.
0: su- yeah. There's no substance, right. It's, no a substance, shallow, it's a shallow scoreboard.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, uh, I started whipping up this plan. I said, you know, if I were to do anything in the Dominican Republic, um, I would love to either get in one, in one of two businesses. So my grandfather, Doroteo, used to do two things. He used to, um, number primarily, he used to grow tobar- tobacco. He would grow, harvest, age, and he would um, sell anduyo cigars. I, I'm sorry, anduyo tobacco. These little hockey pucks looking uh <laughs> cuts and uh, he would sell them in his his farmer's market so he had a farmer's market and he would sell it there along with produce milk all kinds of stuff that he would harvest and then the second thing he would do is he would grow tobacco um, and then he would sell that exclusively to La Aurora and I didn't know any of the details because my folks never told me hey he's been doing that since he was 16 in 1936 no one thought to say he's been selling La Aurora since
2: 1936?
1: yeah okay so, so they just kind of glazed over that. And I'm just like, you know, it's kind of crazy, but um, at the time I'm just whipping up this plan. And I'm thinking like, okay, cool. If I wanted to do the whole farmer's market thing, I was like, ah, oh, this isn't really, you know, I have a family my wife's American, you know, I have three kids here. I was like, I don't really see myself going over there and, and having a farmer's market, but I could see myself um, diving into the more the tobacco side. So I started thinking about that. And I'm like, if I wanted to do anything, what would it be? And so I was thinking like, okay, do I want to just come over in here and make money? And so, I went back to crypto and then I said, no, because at that point it's like, okay, obviously you have a business, you have to be profitable, right. To sustain. But at the same time, if I want to just strictly make money and be surface level and have no substance, right. I'm going to stick to, I'm stick to what I know. I'm going to stick to crypto. Right. Like why, why try to reinvent the wheel when something's working already and I paid my dues in that industry, might as well stick it out. Uh, but instead I said, you know what, I, you know, I, I, some of my most fondest memories and obviously, you know, stuck at home in 2020 and I just want to travel really bad. And like, if there's anywhere I could go, where would I go? Dominican Republic. I'm biased. Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, I, I whip up this plan uh, and and I came to kind of a breaking point. I'm like, okay, I, I kind of know now what I need to do uh, to get started. And essentially what I did for this business plan was the same thing I used to do in tech with the, with the mobile apps and all that. So I kind of used the same blueprint. Okay. Like what are my constraints? What are my known uh, um, constraints what are my unknowns you know like and so how do i figure how do i fill in these gaps who can i reach out to what resources do i have that i can use to learn about these gaps um and so fast forward i'm in that beach again in in uh, san juan puerto rico with brandon he's giving me cigars we're smoking them and he asked me he's like you ever thought about being in the you know tobacco industry but like starting your own thing there and i'm like Actually, yes. So I, yeah. I show him my phone, and on my on my drive, I had the the business plan. I show it to him, and he's going through it, and I can see his eyes lighting up. And he's like, "You never told me you liked cigars as much, or like that you were into this, or that you had any passion, you know, regarding this industry." I'm like, "Never came up, man. Like all we do is like all this degenerate gambling, right. crypto, like, right, right. You know, two di- completely different worlds." So, um, we started talking there. We were there for a couple of days, and every day we 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 we, we touched base on it. And then when I got back, he, I remember him telling me specifically, he said, uh, I'm serious about the proposal I made you like, let's, I'm serious about wanting to do that. And if you're ready to go, I'm ready to go your speed, whatever speed you go, that's the wow. speed I'll go. And at that moment I knew, I, I, I was like thinking to myself like a like, he has no idea who he's talking to right now. Right. <laughs> because I, at that point, you know, I'm, when I see an opportunity like that, like how can i pass that up like it's one of my best buds i trust him more than you know yeah i don't want to he's say like, yeah no, he's, but he's, he's family, family essentially he's yeah. family man like i've done transactions with this guy that i want to do with a lot of my relatives you know it's yeah. just the reality because there's some there's a you know in this crypto thing there's there's a there needs to be a really high level of security and and trust between your your constituents yeah. you know that you're working with so i already had that you know like and so I figured, you know what, let, let, let me let me start putting some things together and see what I, we can do. Um, so going back to the constraints, right, the unknowns and, and where I can go to get, fill in this gap. So when I got back, I, I started making calls to Dominican Republic, got with all my aunts and uncles, um, and I, I started asking them questions. Like, who did uh, Grandpa work for? I knew it was La Aurora, but I didn't know to what degree. So, like, you know, was he a small-time producer, a big-time producer, whatever the case was? Um, come to find out. He was one of the biggest producers of tobacco um, for La Aurora. Um, his cousin, Guillermo was his name. He was the, the, the um, what do you call him? I guess the the liaison for La Aurora. Yeah. Who would go broker. to all the farms. Yeah, the broker. He would yeah. go to all the farms and he would collect the harvest and, and do the whole transaction, facilitate the transaction for the farmers. Yeah. Um, and so I, I came to find out. My grandfather only worked with La Aurora exclusively. So I said, okay, let me call them up. So I just went on Google, found their number. And I'm thinking like they're, I'm expecting the same thing from like building the apps. Like I'm gonna get, I'm gonna do 20 phone calls and 19 of them are gonna be, hey, go, you know, go right.
0: yourself. <laughs> so so, so <laughs> and, you call up the main number, the receptionist of La Aurora, yeah. answers yep. the phone. And, yep. and you proceed to tell the receptionist this yeah. really compelling story. To try yeah. to get to somebody <laughs> in control,
1: right? And she and I remember doing that. And she goes, uh, "Who are you?" <laughs> and I'm like, "You know, who can I talk to if I wanna if I wanna do business with La Aurora?" And she connected me with the right person. You know, we did a couple of emails back and forth. Eventually, I get their phone number. I call them up, and they were very welcoming and open to the idea. Uh, I told them the whole story, just like I did here, and um, they they said, all right, we need to do some vetting. So they got back to me a couple of days later and they said, all right, everything checks out. Let's talk. Uh, what do you want to do? And I told him, like, I want to have a farm just like my grandfather. I'm from New York city. I don't know Jack about farming, but, and I'm not going to, I told Brandon, you know, when we go in here and then in this industry, we want to be authentic and just be real. Like I don't need to be a seasoned farmer. Yeah. You know, I, I don't need to be a seasoned farmer to have a passion for something for cigars. Um, so I said, you know, I, I want to I grow tobacco. I want to harvest it. I want to process it and everything. And I want to sell it to you exclusively. And what do we need to make that, to make that happen? And so they opened up all the resources to us. Um, they gave us agronomists. They gave us uh, greenhouses. Um, they gave us folks that could come out and, and inspect all the soil that we, uh, for the, the lands that we were prospecting. Um, I had my fingers crossed for one plot of land. Uh, it was my, my father's land where his family's, where he grew up as a kid. This is where I used to go during those summers Mm -hmm. when I lived in New York city and we would go and play hide and seek and just mess around and stuff. It was all barren. Um, it had like mangoes and plantains, like wild things just growing coconuts, but never any tobacco there. So I told Laudora, like, we're interested in purchasing this land here. Uh, could you go and inspect the soil and all that? So they took samples, um, and lo and behold they came back and they're like this land is very fertile it's really good because it's been barren for so many years in such a fertile you know environment in the jacket valley of dominican republic they're like this is good like we could do some work here but they said the only factor here is you gotta find some water so we have to find a natural source of water so this is where the games begin so to speak like we're all right we we start hitting the walls like Um,
0: you you so you realize like you know i mean you've been doing this now for well actually not all that long but a year just one but year that, yeah but that said like when you say all this out loud you realize how crazy this is right yeah you know i, I mean that this this is the american dream right that you know people with just this passion and this clear vision it's why i love this story so much right that that you you were humble yet passionate enough that you call up la aurora and and you tell him Look, I've got this family legacy, but I'm a kid from New York City. I don't know anything, but I want to buy a farm and I want to grow quality enough tobacco that you buy it exclusively. Now, normally, certainly in America, what would happen when you had that conversation? Like they would be rolling on the floor laughing, going like, kid, like, what are you talking about? Like, Stay
1: in your lane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You yeah. you
0: just said you know nothing about this, and, mm-hmm. and you just want to buy a farm. Use our resources. Like, why? If if we're using all of our resources, why don't we just go buy the land and do it ourselves? Like, we don't need right. you for anything. And yet, they opened their doors and shared their resources, and 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 here we are.
2: What was yeah. it? Like, like Patrick was saying, what was it? that had them make the decision in favor of you, rather than saying like, we can just do this on our own. We have the money, we have the resources. I I honestly,
1: like, I wish I had a clear answer. And to this day, I always talk to the Manoli Noah, the master blender. And I always tell him like, bro, why, like, why are you so nice (laughs) to, like, why are you so helpful? Like, I I love it. I love it because, you know, I love the idea of abundance and just kind of like paying it forward and, and always, and from my position, always seeking mentors, you know? Um, and I just love that idea, man. Like, and, and they really stand by it, man. Like, and it's not just because I'm working with them. Like these guys, I don't care what happens. I will not leave this partnership. I will not go work with anybody else because the way that they were so receptive to, to my, um, my request and, and they could see, I guess, how passionate I was. I think that's maybe what it was. You could see that I was really passionate about it. I never, not once said like, Oh, let's make money. You know, we're going to make X, Y, Z. Like, I never, never talked about that. Because it wasn't about that for me. It was about, you know, I have a one-year-old twins right now, boy and girl, and I have a four-year-old daughter. And I just want to see my daughter running through those fields. I want my kids to be proud of something um, when I'm I'm gone, other than like, oh, yeah, he was a degenerate gambler for X, Y, Z amount of time, and he made some money, and we're well off. That's, you know, that's not the story I want to be known for. So, um, you know, I'm trying to apply the, the same methodologies that I did learn. There were a lot of great things that I learned through tech, through crypto, um, mm-hmm. like going really fast, being aggressive with your goals in a, in a sense, like be humble enough to know you don't know, Jack, you don't know anything, right. but be eager and very, very disciplined when it comes to like learning and just finding the answers to the the problems and the questions that you have and going at a crazy speed um, and being very, very organized in, in that in that trajectory. And so that's what we did, like, First thing I did when I got back from Puerto Rico before I called I called up my cousin. During the pandemic, 2020, my my cousin Aaron, um, he he got fed up with the whole mandates and stuff, and he said like, you know, why am I here when I could be in Dominican Republic? You know, he grew up there for 10 years. He was born in New York, New York City, but he spent the first 10 years of his life in Dominican Republic. He he knows the freedoms very well mm-hmm. and the lifestyle. He's like, man, I could live on an island, go to the beaches. Do my thing, you know, and just have fun, have a good time and wait this out and see what happens. Uh, So I I get back from from Puerto Rico. I call him up and I say, hey, man, you have any intentions of coming back anytime soon? And he goes, no, I'm thinking about staying here. And I said, Okay, well, uh, at one point, Aaron told me when we were going to the Air Force, he said, uh, you know, when we get out, I want us to to have a business together one day in Dominican Republic. We always dreamed of that um and we didn't know at the time we were kids so we're thinking like we're gonna have a hookah bar or we're gonna have a yeah we're, right. we're trying we're trying to bring <laughs> let the,
2: higher than a hookah bar
1: we're trying to bring the things <laughs> we learned in the us like uh, the us identity i guess we're like right. running away from our origin from our heritage we're just trying to kind of bring the cool like the us-based stuff into the dominican republic and yeah. it was so funny it was like backwards like instead of running from that go towards your, your path, of, you know, where you come from, your origins. And that's what we did. So I hit him up and I told him like, Hey man, you, you want to do this? And he said, heck yeah, want to do this. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's, he's very, you know, he looked up to Doroteo as well. And, uh, you know, we, we share that, that in common as well. And so we both went guns blazing on that. He was representing me in Dominican Republic. I was here with Brandon Brandon's out of Nebraska. And so we would get on call just like this, the three of us, and we would go, one factor to the other. So the first things, the first thing was like, okay, we need a farm. So La Aurora came into picture, got one Manoli noah the master blender, got with the agricultural lead, La Aurora, Atanacio, um, and they both, those two gentlemen, helped me out tremendously on both fronts, cigars and the farm. Um, they helped us locate all the resources and stuff, um, and then we just kept going. Every factor, like little things that you don't think about because you don't know, right? So we came to a point like, okay uh, who's going to design our bands. Let's start looking Mm -hmm. online for some cool designers. And then we find this gentleman with a Pinterest account and his name turned out to be Jeff Moss, who I had no idea who it was because I'm new to the industry. And I get on a zoom call with this guy and I see all these like awards and stuff behind him. And I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) I I should have probably done that before, but I started looking him up and I'm like, Oh, this is an OG in the industry. Like this guy you know, worked with Alec Bradley for over a decade, and he helped them, um, you know, market and, and brand a lot of the cigars that are popular today. I just saw Cigar Aficionado was, was, um, uh, put up a post about uh, the black market, right? Uh, which is so cool because I know Jeff Moss did, uh, branded that, and it made me proud, like, just, you know, every time I see that kind of stuff. Um, that's one of the guys I lean on a lot because, you know, aside from being a, like a creative genius, he's like a Kanye. <laughs> that's what I call yeah. him. You know, he, uh, he has so much industry knowledge so much. And so, yeah. And uh, I knows so many people. Right. Right. Very well connected as well. Obviously, you know, he spent so much time in the industry. So, um, then, then he came to the picture. So it was the four of us. It was Brandon, Aaron, Jeff Moss and myself. Um, and uh, yeah, we just, we kept trucking and little by little, we just started tackling all the things. And eventually we came to a point where we had a farm, we had, um, uh, we had a, 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 a curing barn that was built, that was the exact replica of the one at Davidoff, one of the ones at Davidoff. Um, and the reason is because I really look up to that company is specifically uh, uh, Class Kellner. Mm-hmm. Um, right. which I got to meet at PCA, which for me, I, honestly, out of the whole experience, I was probably one of my highlights <laughs> in particular because he was a big inspiration for me. And um, I remember seeing their, uh, their, their current barn and I'm like, you know, I just want to emulate. Like, that's, that's the one I want to have. I want to be like these guys. And, and, and not even in the sense of like, you know, like, Oh, you know, uh, monetary gains and stuff. It's more about like, I love seeing the family, legacy being passed on generation to generation and that that's what i aspire to i want to. well well, and
0: also i mean you know the other thing you can't discount about davidoff is the power of a brand right that 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 became more than a cigar line it's a lifestyle brand right yeah when when Mm -hmm. you see davidoff it it represents something more than just oh yeah that that one that one blend of cigar i really like right
1: right right it superseded the cigar um and that doesn't that doesn't happen by accident obviously like there's branding geniuses behind that but at the same time there's an alt- authenticity to it that well you, you have can't to be replicate. able to back
0: it up right you yeah you, yeah you, you can't market your way through a mediocre product exactly you know, at some exactly. point you've got to back up the hallmarks of the brand and it, and it, consistently mm-hmm. year over year product after product um you, you you know you can't disappoint
1: right and and even even if you have a good run and you're able to, you know, again, lean on the, the branding geniuses and whatnot, eventually, you know, the, people are going to see you for what it really is. You know, the truth always comes out. So, um, but long story short, I got, I got to meet him at, at PCA, you know. Um, when we were getting ready to launch, we're like, okay, where, where are we going to launch? So I just started, I started looking at all the biggest events, and I'm like, what's the biggest event? PCA, that's where we're going to
0: launch.
2: <laughs> so and that
0: was good. No, go ahead, Alec.
2: PCA twenty twenty one. Twenty two.
0: Oh okay. Where we met you. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yep. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, but keep in mind, like we're we're looking at basically, you know, a twelve if twelve ish month window.
2: You know, yeah, from, right. from
0: you sitting on a beach in Puerto Rico with your buddy to, to that's to, to now you you own a farm, you're making cigars, you have a brand. Mm-hmm. And you're launching it at the biggest cigar event in the world. Yep. And we had a harvest. And you had a harvest. We had all, a harvest. Our all first in a harvest. Month, yeah. yeah, in a 12 month period of time.
1: Insane. Like, and, and that was one of the proudest moments for me was, uh, and I was nervous when I was flying to DR. Like, I, I've been seeing all the drone footage. Aaron is really into the tech as well. He would send me drone footage on WhatsApp. We would communicate just like this regularly, like every every other day or so. Um, keep me informed what's going on with the with the workers, what's going on with um, the crop, all that, all that jazz, and I was pretty nervous because even though it looked great on, on footage, I'm just thinking like, oh man, like you know, everything's come to this moment. You know, obviously, like launching your your cigar brand at PCA, it's very, very monumental and it's cool and it's important. But for me, like the farm aspect, for some reason, and I don't want to make it sound bad, but it almost held, held more weight for me because it was the land that my my father grew up on. It was, you know, I just it, there was so many emotional elements to it for me that that when I when I got there and I saw this crop and it was like as tall as me and I'm six foot one when I saw that I was like dude like this is insane we did this like
0: and, and I just yeah. remember seeing
1: Brandon's face and he was just like <laughs> and I just leaned in and I I I, I held him and I and I, I just told him hey you remember when you told me you're ready to go my speed I just I was waiting off to tell him that uh right and he, he just started laughing he's like dude you're a, you're a maniac uh so <laughs>
0: So, but, but, here, um, but here's the, the craziest thing is, you know, I, I, you know, experienced the cigar for the first time at, at PCA Your Cigar and it's good. Like, I, I, I mean, and, and I shouldn't sound that, you know, say that in a surprising manner because now I know you and and I know, you know, I, I, I don't think you would have released it if it wasn't good, Right. It, it's one thing to grow a crop, right? I, I mean, we experiment with a vegetable garden in the backyard. And sometimes when we're really diligent and everything else, you know, you pick the you know the vegetables and it's like, oh, wow, these are really good. These are better than what you buy in the store. But
2: mm-hmm. you know what?
0: Some years you pick it and, you know, maybe the weather was off. Maybe the fertilizer was off. Maybe something's yeah. off.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's just like, ooh, wow, that was a wasted season. That was really right. bad. But, That's what I was
1: expecting. I was expecting that. Right. Talk, I
2: mean, it's your it's your timeline. Say it again? Talk about that timeline, because you guys have cigars out now. Mm-hmm. What, I guess what makes up that cigar, especially with, with the age of the company? So how did you guys come sure. to having blend and having your own crops?
1: Yeah, so it was a two part process. Obviously, the business itself is, you know, a lot of folks, they take the, um, the route of, you know, just buying cigars from a, okay. from a company they slap on a cool label, pump a bunch of money into marketing. That's that's what it is. I wanted to take a different approach because, again, I'm not doing this for money. If I wanted to do that, I could just stay in crypto. So what I said was, like, okay, even if the farm is not profitable, I don't care. When I want to have a farm because that's what my grandfather did. And we're going to continue doing that. And we're going to use that as like an incubator, so to speak. <clears throat> so by that, what I mean is we're going to use it like a lab, a live lab where we can experiment and try to grow different um, strains of tobacco, different variations of things that, that perhaps never been done in Dominican Republic or haven't been as um, successful in Dominican Republic because of mm-hmm. the all the natural elements. Um, so, you know, going into that first season, I thought it was going to be, you know, I thought it was going you were going to be completely underwater uh, from, from the right. farm standpoint, because I did not expect to have that much tobacco, good tobacco, to you know, growing. Um, and be able to harvest it. Because one thing is growing the tobacco. The other thing is, okay, cool. It looks it looks pretty and everything. Once you start harvesting that and you're bringing it into the curing barn, that is a whole dance that is like, man, that's when you really earn, you really uh, gain that respect for, for the industry. The people that are you know, growing their tobacco, harvesting it, aging it, all vertical, and they are releasing these cigars, man, that is such a, such a cool thing to, to go from A to Z in that, that respect. Um, I knew that we couldn't do that in the first year. Like, you know, with an ambition of launching within a first year, there's no way that I was going to, you know, put my grandfather's name on a cigar that was, you know, made it compo- composed, yes, oh, composed of tobacco that was harvested, you know, within, you know, uh, under a year. Three months uh, earlier, yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. So so essentially the the agreement that I did with Aurora was um, we will harvest tobacco, work with you exclusively, we'll only sell to you. You tell us what you need. And we will grow that um, you, uh, they will then use that for their blends. So they take it to, cause they have the, the vertical integration. They've, they're the oldest company in the American Republic. So they,
0: right. they have
1: all, everything they need to make sure that that tobacco is then um, properly aged and, and feasible for other, other um, uh, brands. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's essentially what they're doing with that tobacco. Uh, we, we planted seeds or rather we transplanted seeds from the greenhouse in late November and we had the harvest in the same week as pro cigar in Dominican Republic in February. So that was, I want to say wow. February 24th or so. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so like throughout that, that short window of time, we learned. So was, it was like a crash course because the, every day it felt like there was a fire you had to put out. Right. Right. And so Aaron would call me and they're like, dude, it's been raining for like three days or four days straight. And it's just pouring like in, in the Caribbean, it just pours. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, what does this mean for the time? I would get with the agronomists. I would get with all the folks. And they're like, you need to do X, Y, Z. You need to make sure you're putting fertilizer. You need to make sure you're, you doing, you know, this and that to ensure that the, the, the crop doesn't um, get oversaturated. And then it dilutes the, 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 the uh, quality of the, of the, of the crop. And so in the beginning, you know, uh, we would have the agronomist come out a couple times a week uh, from La Rora, And he would say, man, this is looking like like rapper, man. Like, this is amazing that you are even able to do this in the, in the first season. And then as the weeks start going on, you know, we're, we're, we're getting hit, inundated by all the le- elements, right? Whether it's like just a dry period, uh, whether it's, you know, just flash floods. <laughs> we're on a slope, too. The property's on a slope. So luckily, my dad uh, has been helping me. So he retired uh, last year around February and he was getting bored. So he was, he lived in New York city and was kind of entrepreneurial himself, always worked multiple jobs. And so I could just hear in his voice. It's not what he thought it was going to be. Retirement was not what he thought it was going to be. So I asked him like, Hey man, would you mind like helping us out? Like the the property is a three minute walk from his house. So at first he's like, I don't know how much I can do, but I'll, I'll try to, you know, help you out here and there. And then throughout the weeks, he just took ownership of the role. And I love that. Like, he he came alive again. Like, it was my dad in New York City that used to hustle and all this stuff. And so him alongside my cousin Aaron, they will tackle all the different factors. And and then I would do the communicating. I would make sure I'm facilitating a lot of that stuff with La Aurora. And then we took care of all those, you know, random uh, factors that came into play from the natural elements.
0: Well, Um, and it says a lot about La Aurora as well, right? Because as much as Brandon had to agree to move as fast as you... To some degree, La Aurora did, too. They, they probably didn't even know exactly what they were getting into.
1: They didn't, but they they were ready. That's one thing yeah. I'll say about them. And one thing I came to really appreciate, because, again, this is new to me, so I didn't really understand, like, okay, when how many companies like La Aurora of that stature, you know, like, work with, uh, how many clients do they typically take on, how many people, how many partnerships do they make, how many folks do they help uh, create brands, sub-brands, you know, mm-hmm. and, they're, I believe they're one of the ones that have the lowest uh, count as far as like how many how many partnerships they have. So they actually have a lot more time to allocate to each relationship,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. To, nurt- to
1: nurture to nurture those relationships and, and help us along the way, help us grow. Um, to the extent where not only were they helping me on the uh, agricultural front, but also with the cigar, right? So we're, yeah. we're putting together the blends. So the way I, that I was worked-
0: going to ask, so so mm-hmm. tell us about your launch blends. What, mm-hmm. what makes it, what, how did you come to pick it and what makes it so special?
1: So what we did there was uh, again, leaning on, you know, folks that have a way more experience than me. I got together with Jeff Moss, a creative director, um, who had a seasoned palette. I'm 32 years old. He's been smoking as long as I've been alive. So, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll, you know, that's definitely something I got to have to, uh, I can't, I can't ignore uh, aside from, you know, creating all the marketing and branding and stuff. I got with Brandon, got with uh, Manoli Noah, the Master Blender, and a few folks that he, uh, Master Blender, uh, uh, opened up to us. So uh, when we flew out there, uh, he would have us, you know, try different things, meet different folks. And we got to meet different folks in the industry that, you know, mutual relationships. And one thing that I love, it was like the minute we joined and we were a partnership, it was like, all right, you're family now. So mm-hmm. we're going to help each other out. Everything you need is that, you know, whatever you need, you let us know. And so I told him straight up, same thing I'm telling you guys. Like, I'm from New York City, man. I've I've smoked cigars like a handful. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but I am really passionate about, you know, uh, honoring my father, my grandfather's name, and I don't want to have him roll in his grave mm-hmm. <laughs> over a cigar that's not worth a damn. So, um, when we started putting the blends together, Brandon was really adamant about the Sumatra uh, growing in Ecuador that's, that's one of his, uh, guilty pleasures, so to speak. Like he always talked about that. And so obviously being my partner, um, even though I was running a lot of the stuff in the farm and whatnot, like, you know, it, it we're like a brotherhood. So, um, for me, that was like, okay, a guarantee thing, like, okay, let's make sure we, we implement that some way we can make it work. Um, and so we had, um, Noah give us, uh, blends that had a combination of the Ecuadorian, uh, Sumatra. Um, Brandon also wanted Nicaraguan in there. Uh, And so we tried different things. There were a couple of them that we tried that they just, uh, even for someone that's not seasoned like myself, uh, smoking cigars, you could just tell, like, okay, this is not something I, if I'm not going to enjoy it, man, I'm not going to try to sell this to anybody. This, you know, this doesn't make sense to me to do that. So um, as we were going through different variations and stuff, we started just doing the process elimination. And then eventually we came to a point where, We were close to to the cigar we have now and then at that point we had like five different variations of that um pretty much just the compositions and uh as far as like what particularly with the filler because the filler is the most intricate part there where we have nicaraguan colombian and dominican uh tobacco um the the wrapper and the binder are uh grown in ecuador um so when we came to that piece that's where jeff Moss came in and he, he, this is where his OG status shined. Um, we were smoking together and he would, he strictly just took a cigar and he was like, you know, in order to really understand like what the makeup of the cigar, you can't just look at the cigar, you know, and just be like, okay, cool. Let's just smoke it. And he started walking me through the process of analyzing the ash, um, as it's burning, analyzing, uh, just doing different things. Like, you know, um, teaching me about you know like the the smells you pick up like all the different things that 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 you pick up even before you light the cigar just going Mm -hmm. from a through z uh to the point where he was like you know what you should do you should you should open up one of the cigars and you should take the the different radiations of 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 the tobacco and just chew on it and try different things and just really get a sense of what it is that you're really going to put out there to the world um and so I remember I was sitting right here in this deck and I, I would go to local cigar shops. And uh, when I was here at home, my wife would just walk out, she's like, What the heck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm over here looking like a surgeon. I'm just like <laughs> uh, dissecting
0: just, cigars. Yeah.
1: And just taking notes on things. uh and at the time I'm like, look, dude, like I I am green as it comes. And you know, for a long time I was just chain smoking. I was like, I feel like I'm just a chimney. I don't really I was frustrated because I wanted to um, curve the, the learning curve. I wanted, I wanted to, uh, to cut that, but obviously there's something you can't, you just, there's, you, you, you have to go through it. You got to go through yeah. it. Um, so I just, what I did I was like, okay, I can't rush, um, time, but what I can do is I could try to smoke more frequently, more cigars and just try to really pick up on different things based on what you see, um, the critics say, but at the same time, like it's very, um, what I don't know exactly how to put it, but it definitely, it, it, it um, it influences the way you perceive the the notes. So if, for instance, if somebody says like, oh, this is nutty and you could really taste leather and yada yada, when you smoke it, you're like, yeah, I could really taste that, you know? So right. I, I did a lot, a, lot of, a lot of things like dissecting actually was, for me was the best way for uh, to really pick up on, the, on little things, um, but really that's not consuming it from a smoking standpoint, it's just picking up on the notes, like um, the flavor right. profile. Um, and so when we came down to the last five cigars, uh, different variations, um, Manny said, hey, I want, I, want to, I want to show you something. So he pulls out uh, a cigar. and He's like, I want you to add that into the mix and just smoke them. He, he didn't give me a band. He didn't tell me anything about it other than Sumatra, Ecuador, Nicaraguan, Colombian, Dominican. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were smoking together, Brandon, Jeff, and myself, I remember Jeff smoked this cigar. And he, he was just looked at me. He's like, if you want your 90-plus rated cigar, that's the one. And so right. I said... I was like, okay, that's the one. (laughs) And so, you know, and that's what it was. And, you know, perhaps it's not something that from a marketing standpoint or branding standpoint, a lot of owners will own up to, but that's how we came to that conclusion. And for me, it was a matter of I want to honor my grandfather. I want to make sure that if I'm going to put something out there to the world, it's going to be something that he would be proud of. And we actually enjoy the smoke. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of like in an echo chamber. Like we're telling each other, like, this is it. This is the, you know this is the next best, like, this is good, a really good cigar. Um, the, the real truth comes out when you put it out there to the, the ether, right? So when right. you go to PCA, I was thinking like, all right, we're new kids on the block. I'm not lying about my, my journey here or, you know, about, you know, my palate or whatnot. Like it is what it is and this is what we are. And then, you know, I'm, I was expecting people to be kind of like, you know, whatever, we see brands come and go all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't really bother me because I've always been really persistent in any endeavor I, I, I had in the past and I seen the success of just sticking it through being in the tunnel, so to speak, feeling failure after failure, after failure, and then eventually getting on the other side of that. So I knew like, okay, I'm in this tunnel now. I just, I, I left a successful right. one and I just entered a new one and now I'm starting all over again and that's fine. And I, and so we went to PCA, you know, it was a, a huge surprise to have folks come up to us and like this is great. I love it. I was just like, oh man, that's like affirmation. And yeah, it made everything so worth it. Like, uh, you know, firstly, seeing the crop in person in Dominican Republic in February. And then
2: secondly was PCA. You're not only a new brand. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Alec. I was going to say, you're not only a new brand, because you're right, there's a lot of new brands that pop up and then just disappear, or they don't get the respect of the industry, or the product just isn't good because they come in and then they pay someone to make a cigar, and they have no investment in it, whether it's the legacy and story behind it or the product itself, it's very detached, but you guys got the involvement and trust from a brand like La Galora, or La Aurora. Um, and then you have the legacy of your family. Mm-hmm. So you came in with roots on day one. And I, I leaned on that a
1: lot, like aside yeah. from having the confidence from my co-founder, Brandon, who is a serial entrepreneur, this guy, you know, he's done any, everything in between tech and agriculture. Yeah, um, he, he has farms in in uh, Nebraska. He, you know, he's obviously in tech with crypto with me, and and so leaning on him, leaning on Jeff, but also leaning on my family. One of the beautiful things that happened in this journey, going back to the trip in Dominican Republic, um, I, I put together a little cookout. We roasted a pig in a very Dominican style, and mm-hmm. and we had a family gathering, kind of like the one I was explaining from my childhood. Right. We had it in the so where Doroteo had his is a farmer's market um his house was right next to that right now that's my aunt's house she uh, he passed it on to her my cousin aaron lived across the street so his house is across the street from from there so we went there to film that to to capture all that and then afterwards we were going to do a uh, um, a cookout and and kind of you know just talk about doroteo i was gonna i gave a speech and and just to honor him and, and thank everybody for supporting me in this endeavor and trusting me with his name right um and i was taken back man like there were you know like pe- people were just really like leaning in and like there's some there's some footage that i put out there um from that uh from that event it's on youtube all over our page and stuff and you could see a lot of the my my relatives a lot of my aunts and uncles and cousins just rejoicing just super happy and it really got to me man it wasn't and like i didn't think that was going to happen but it actually got to me and i was like oh like i was starting started my speech and i started <laughs> my voice started to crack a little bit i was like oh no yeah and uh yeah man it's just you know it really hit me like the how profound that is to be able because you could say all day like oh we have a legacy of yada yada and 86 years and all that is cool man but it's like when you see your family back you up and be supportive of that and really be happy and proud of what you're doing to honor him and the rest of them right like that for me was was everything i felt like at that moment i was like i i accomplished what i wanted this is what i want my kids to have yeah you
0: know well, you know, it's um, I, uh, I I I am a lover of authenticity, right? Because I, I, I feel like uh, you know society just keeps moving more and more towards materialistic, shallow things, and yeah. and keeping score on the wrong scoreboard. You know that that you know I, I grew up poor as well, and you know all all around me, you know, you see signs of you know, what's defined as success, right? You know, the guy mm-hmm. drive up in the G-Wagon or the Ferrari or wearing the right. Rolex or whatever right. it happens to be. And you're like, wow, I see the respect that guy gets. And I re- I see the lack of respect I get because, you know, I'm, I'm riding a bicycle and, you know, wearing, you know, clothes from Sears Roebuck. Right. And wow, I you know, I, I aspire to have that someday. And so, you know, I think when you're young, you know, your your American dream is just the scoreboard of money right? I, you know, I, I, I want to be a millionaire. I want to be a billionaire. <clears throat> I, I want to have all these things because mm-hmm. then I'll get all that respect and then right. I'll be happy, right? Right. Um, you know, you mentioned something earlier that, that I agree with wholeheartedly. Having kids um, changes all that. And, and from the second my daughter was born, our first child, um, the whole scoreboard changed. And then it just became about, man, how do I become the best role model? And, and now my scoreboard's completely different and it's based on authenticity and, Mm. and like you, it's, um, I want to, I want to immerse everything that we do, right? Not say, but everything we do, the people that we surround ourselves with, um, the people that we work with, how we work, the people that we employ, how we treat those people. I want that to be a reflection of the values that, I want to hopefully someday be part of my legacy so that when my kids grow up, you know, maybe they're bored going to work functions, maybe they're bored, you know, going out um, Mm. camping or doing things out in nature or whatever. And they just want to be at home on their iPads. But just like you and just like me, sooner or later, you, you know, you look back to those roots, to that foundation, to something that's authentic. And I think that, you know, the one thing that stood out with you time and time again, right? I'm sure it's why La Aurora opened up their doors to you, right? I'm sure you weren't the first call to them over the decades, No, but, but they, they opened their door to you. The, the, the whole community within the Dominican Republic opened their door to you. And at PCA, just, you know, a little more than a year after you entered the industry, they, they also opened their door to you. We opened our door to you, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you're already, you know, you feel like part of the family to us and, because it's authentic, right? You weren't just pursuing money and prestige because, like you said, you could have taken pennies on the dollar to your investment, bought, bought some tobacco, hired a blender to wrap your band on whatever cigar he said was great and been in the cigar business. Right. But... But that's not walking the walk, right? No. And I, so I knew
1: that, that that's a cash grab. That's what we call that in the in the investment world. And and there, I see a lot of that, and that's applauded in the investment world. You go in, you invest early, you get out, screw the founder, screw the owner, screw the partnership that you had, your word. It doesn't matter. You move on to the next. And it's kind of like the culture of not only the investment world, but also like the valley, Silicon Valley it's kind of, it's cutthroat. Um, and it, and it, it, uh, it encourages people to be more competitive and really stay on the ball and really deliver so that you don't lose that investor. But then the, the, it's just for me, like also coming from the air force, like I, I hated seeing and from a, from a tight knit family and then the air force as well in the air force, you know, those are my brothers, man. Like the folks that I, I deployed, uh, deployed with, you know, those are my best friends to this day.
0: Well, they're, they're authentic, right? Because you you see it not because they say, oh, we're brothers, but you see your brothers stand in harm's way to protect you and to protect other brothers. Right. Like that's the ultimate in sacrifice and authenticity. And, and the same goes with the way that you've started this out. Right. It was, it was your American dream, right. That, that if when it's done the right way you can have your cake and eat it too right hopefully you right. make a little profit mm-hmm. um more than enough to provide for your family and your needs but but it's something more than that right and uh yeah man and that's
1: it's really uh surprising to me like exactly what you're describing there like uh I found that brotherhood here in this industry too and I didn't expect that because I thought like okay it, you know I come from the investment world I see how cut it is there you know, I'm thinking here, like, it's an open market. We're all competitors, so to speak. So, you know, um, you know they're not going to be – they're not likely to help you out and try to boost you up when, when you're their direct competitor to an extent. Right. Um, right. But it was, it was the contrary to the T, man, to the T. Like, obviously getting started, you have a farm, cool. You have your own cigar, great. Now import it to the U.S. Oh, you don't have a license? You're done. That's, that's, that's a roadblock. One of the factors that we ran into and who helped me, it was a quote unquote competitor. Yeah. We we hit, we, we met in person, we smoked. And then, you know, the dude was like, bro, I got you, man. I will help you out. I'll get you get started. And then when you're ready to, you know, get your own spa, your own warehouse and all that jazz in the U S then I'll help you merge into that. And it's like
2: everywhere I go, man, it's like, it's been the same experience, even at PCA, same thing. So a few industries that you see that across the board and then the people who don't play along with that and aren't in it for the community and the all boats rise approach, they stick out immediately. Mm -hmm. And at PCA, like that was the first time we were there. You're seeing, I think more than, because I've been to a lot of trade shows in other industries and I've never seen an industry where you have owners of competing brands in each other's booths, just hanging out. Right. That's all it was after mm-hmm. this who we went to. It's the guy we're there to talk to. And then. But the
0: funny thing is, you know, I, I mean, there's always the 800 pound gorillas in every industry and, and you know, cigar industry is no different. There's mm-hmm. there's some big corporate, you know, conglomerates with CFOs and spreadsheets and, and you know, yeah. everything else. But I think it's that that startup to middle of the road. That's the majority of the industry. That, that I see those same values in, in the other industries that this magazine serves. You know, you see, you see that in the multi-generational trade within the firearms industry as well. Um, you, you see that in a lot of small shops and everything. And, you know, as hard as any business is, you know, to start and, and to build into something um, with competition and, and everything else um, today, you know within these industries alcohol tobacco firearms you know it it, it's such a higher bar to even get out of the gate you know there's so much regulation there's so much legislation Mm -hmm. you know it feels like half the government is actually fighting against you Um, in addition to all the normal barriers of business and so it's it's why we love serving these industries is because you know you find people like yourself That are just passionate Americans with family values. That are that are just pursuing their dream, and uh, Mm -hmm. and 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 you know what? What I love most is, you know, these are uh, these are diehard people. You know, I I mean, they just don't tap out, and and I love that about you.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, that's for your brand. Uh, What's next? So, a couple things. So uh from a tobacco from the uh uh the tobacco standpoint so in the dominican republic we we had this first harvest it was successful in the sense that we didn't we didn't succeed in in harvesting any any wrapper but we had a heck ton hundreds of pounds of binder
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, more so than even filler and we saw that initially we had the the makings if it would have been someone with a lot more experience uh, they could have put more more than likely harvested uh, some wrapper. And so I saw, I saw that as an opportunity. Like, okay, the goal here is to get better year after year. It's not to come out the gate guns blazing, Mm
2: -hmm. hit a,
1: hit a grand slam and then cash grabbing be out. It's, it's year over year, just uh, a long-term horizon. And, uh, and so at PCA, I got one of the OGs there from uh, Nicaragua I can't say who it is because he's currently contracted with another company. But going back to what we we're talking about, the brotherhood, this is a man who is, you know, I have, I have no business talking to this person. <laughs> uh, I, I approached him and uh, very soft spoken, very humble dude, you know, and I knew through Jeff Moss, who is like whispering in my ear the whole time. He's like, this is so-and-so, that's so-and-so. He's like, that guy helped. A lot of the big corporate names, like the like you were describing, uh, Patrick, he said, that's one of the guys that helped them build from the ground up right. back in the day, way back in the day. Yeah. And so right now he's kind of uh, under the radar, like not, he doesn't promote himself, doesn't put himself out there, he's not egotistic at all. And uh, I, I just approached him and I say, hey, sir, do you have a moment? He's like, yeah, sure. What's up? And, and then I just told him like, you know, and I went with Jeff, uh, Jeff introduced me and I got to talking to him and I told him what I'm doing. And I thought he was going to be like, you know, like, who do you think you are? Like coming out of the gate, right. you, know, you have a farm. You gotta... Instead, he he was so, I could see him getting excited. And so it, it was really cool for me because, uh, you know, he's in his later later years, you know, he's in his late seventies and, you know, he probably, he probably feels like he's on his way out, so to speak, with the industry in a way. But I could see him light up because he got excited. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, the next generation, like, let's go. And right. he actually wanted to help me. And I told him, like, you know, I would love to to be able to produce um, rapper. And I'm really interested in, in doing two things, uh, following what Brandon was saying about the uh, Sumatra grown in Ecuador mm-hmm. and then also Nicaraguan rapper. Um, and so with this gentleman in particular, I, I propose like, hey, would it be OK? And obviously I do everything. Um, very businesslike in the sense like, you help me out, I'm going to reciprocate, whether that's payment, whether that's whatever the case is, it has to be done right. Um, I'm not here to stand a walk over anybody, so to speak. So I told him that I proposed that to him. And he's like, no, 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 don't worry about that. He said, I'm going to get, I'm going to source you Nicaraguan seed. I'm going to help you get started, set up. And all the the ends that, that come to, you know as it pertains to growing uh, rapper, it's a very uh intricate process nothing like w- where we did the first time around the first time it was like wow wow what shit like we just you know <laughs> figuring it out as we go he said like it's gonna be really you know there's so many factors that come into play here and i'm gonna help you out with everything so he's he essentially told me word for word in spanish he said i'm gonna give you my blueprint for wow you know. and i was just like why <laughs> yeah but he was just hey man it's cool like you same thing you told me he just said like i could tell you you're real and I love seeing that, you know, your passion and, and you're, you're trying to, you know, uh, honor your grandfather's name and they're all the, you're helping a lot of families in the Megan Republic. So I wanna help you out and continue to do so. And so that's what's next for the farm. Uh, we're in the process of getting all those things in place now. Um, what's next for uh, the brand and, and what, you know, blends are we working? We're working on two blends right now with the Master Blender. Um, Some folks are telling me, like, hey, you should try to push it out. You know, there's always people giving you advice from all over. And they're telling me, like, you should push it out at TPE. You should get the next one out and just, you know, banger after banger, just keep going. And I said, no, we're going to take our time with it. I want to really give this cigar a fair shot. I think it's worth it. And for this year, we're just going to focus on El Legado, um, our first blend. And so the other two blends are not going to be released until PCA. So that's what we're going to do. I love it. Yeah, one of them is a very limited quantity, um, and it it involves what my grandfather was very passionate about, anduyo. Um, you know, one of my first experiences with tobacco, as I said, was with anduyo, with his stuff in particular. So, um, I kind of want to walk in his in his footsteps, so to speak, and I wanna I wanna pursue that. So, we're working on two blends, PCA.
0: Um, yeah. So that's said, awesome. Is. Man. That is so exciting. So where, uh, where can people find, uh, your cigars?
1: So during PCA, one of the, one of the funny things that happened, like, like all the attention that we were receiving there, that was not what I expected. Like, you know, from folks like you, your company and, and others. And, and then from the retail side, you know, I came back home and I had a deck of cards that were like, you know, a full deck of cards there. And, 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 I started going through the the list with uh, Brandon, and then initially I'm like, well, we could you know this person is requesting this many this person is requesting that many x y z and so brandon i this is where leaning on on uh, shoulders of giants, so to speak comes in handy um having more way more experience than I do when it comes to business on um, entrepreneur pursuits and all he said be very careful uh, about the relationships that you create, the partnerships you create um so he decided he, you know, we're going to work together, go through the list together with the help of Jeff Moss, and we're going to not, I don't want us to be kind of arrogant, but we're going to cherry pick in a sense uh, who we want to work with. Sure. Um, so we're putting that list together right now, and so we're going to release okay. that in a couple of weeks. Um, right. And it's going to be very select few individuals that we're going to work with to start off, just because there's no read, there's no need to to you know, me- we're not mass producing cigars, you know. Right. We have we started off with 33,000 cigars for our first blend. You know, I'm yeah. not, I don't have no intentions of, you know, being in every single lounge and every shop and, and just, you know, hiking up our, our bottom line. So that's the path we're going to take. It's unorthodox, just like everything else we've done, but we're sticking. Well, to listen, our guns on
0: that. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, make sure you reach out to us. Let us know when that list is available because, uh, I know uh, that, you know, the second anybody tries one, they're, they're going to be hooked and mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have a loyal customer for life.
1: Yeah, man, it's that, that was the experience. And that's what a lot of people told us at, at PCA. And I was the whole time I was just like, what is going on? People are asking yeah. for autographs and taking pictures. And I'm like, this is not what I expected. Yeah. Yeah. So it was well, really cool, man.
0: Well, I, I am uh, I am excited and uh, optimistic isn't even the word uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident. And uh, look forward to uh, many, many more chapters, many more discussions, uh, many more uh, discussions about, uh, you know, yet another successful release from you because I know sky's the limit for you. So um, Thanks, man. thank you so much for coming on, for spending so much time sharing you know, the details of your story, which I find you know, incredibly inspiring. Um, as I told you when we met, we like telling um, stories about the American dream. And uh, you you are living it in spades. So uh, well done uh, for you and your family and your partners, and and certainly for all of us as uh, the benefactors of your hard work.
1: Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. I really love yeah. doing this. Is you, you know, out of all my interviews uh, at PCA, yours was my one. Well, my up there was my favorite, and I think it was more so. And I told you this uh, in a private conversation. It's more so than just. You know, like, all right, great. Here we have another cigar brand. Yada, yada. It's like, man, it tapped into other elements of my, of me yeah. that I, I didn't think I would, I would find there. And so I was hanging out um, with the vets uh, and we were just sharing stories and, and we were talking about how we're going to help them out with cigars, also with, with crypto to help the vets that are deployed and then got to getting to meet you guys and then seeing what you guys are about. And I'm like, this is cool, man. You guys have like the whole, you know, hitting yeah.
2: all, the,
0: all the, all the, the, the angles there. Well, we uh, we're, we're we're excited to have met you, and uh, like I said, I mean, thanks for spending so much time. But uh, I I think this is just the first chapter on many for both of us. So uh, so here here's to you. Thanks again, and uh, no doubt we'll be talking again soon. Awesome, brother. Thank you.